You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I mean, there were so many people at that anti-war rally who were on the left who had large followings who knew what they were talking about and were good on both Russia and China. Right. And if there are commentators on the populist right, people in our spheres who are at least as good as leftists on the Ukraine war, I would love to talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can talk about China and I can try to change their mind. But I just don't see them. I'd love to ally with them or at least coalition with them on that issue um and and i would love if if anyone knows of people like that please comment it or leave it because i would love to to know at least that they exist you know what is up everybody my name is kyle matovic i am the host of the in liberty and health podcast where we talk all things liberty health and wellness and beyond my hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Oh, All right, everybody, returning to the show, my dear friend, Patrick McFarlane. How you doing, dude? Doing good. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, of course. Well, uh, you know, we shoot the shit frequently on Twitter, and uh, there's been a lot of interesting things over the last couple of weeks. And one thing that we uh, share in common is our uh, skepticism of all claims about China. And um, <laughs> as I'm sure you're just aware of as me, um, Anything in the news that could be interpreted as slightly, um, you know, invasive of China, people just lose their freaking minds. Otherwise, healthily skeptical people will just go ballistic. So I know you're on Scott Horton's show talking about this. I think there have been a few updates to it. So um, I I actually don't think I've talked about it on the show. So um, I guess kind of go ahead and lay out the uh, China balloon stuff. And um, we can kind of move from there, and I'll see if I have anything to add or anything that kind of comes to mind as you're uh, riffing on that. Yeah, well, the China balloon situation was, I don't know, it was really interesting, and it seems like you always have to put forward the caveat that, yeah, this isn't really newsworthy, and the reason why we're talking about it is because the United States, well, the State Department made a big deal out of it, and then the military shot the balloon down. But the timing was really convenient. I mean, there were a few things you could say, argue, or like make the claim that it was a misdirection in in a way because when it came out, uh, conveniently, it happened right before Antony Blinken was supposed to make this pre-planned visit to China Mm -hmm. to meet with, uh, I think, Wang Wang, Wenbin is his name, is he's uh, the counterpart to our Secretary of State, the Foreign Minister. I think that's Wang Wenbin. Uh, but 
the you know he was supposed to meet with uh Xi as well to discuss you know diplomacy and i i heard it was bernard from moon of alabama had an article kind of speculating with some evidence about what exactly the purpose of that visit would have been and why it might have been canceled and I've covered over the last few years how the United States has basically driven Russia and China together, mm -hmm. um, even though that obviously is not in our strategic best interest. But every step that we've taken to be more hawkish against each power has only driven them together. It's it's an incredibly predictable response. You know, you sanction both countries while well, they're just going to join the list of alternative countries that are starting their own multipolar system like BRICS or the Shang the, the Shanghai Cooperative. And so essentially, since Russia and China, they had the Sino-Soviet split that was pretty well publicized back in the day. And since then, they have kind of been at odds in, in a way. They almost went to war with each other. And now that U.S. foreign policy has just driven them closer and closer together, it's a huge economic opportunity for them to create an alternative system and to evade U.S. sanctions. Every time we sanction countries, it just ends up um, you're adding more countries to the list, to the blacklist. Well, when there's more countries added to the blacklist, they can trade with each other. So every time the U.S. does that, uh, it's just another country joining this list. And you see mm -hmm. countries like South Africa being more friendly to China. So at any rate, um, Bernard from Moon of Alabama was speculating that the purpose of the trip was for Antony Blinken to go over and to try to drive a wedge between Russia and China. Well, and I, what, the one other thing I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt, but um, wasn't also some of the talk supposed to be based around um, is the State Department would call it managing their power competition, which um, I, I'm I think I heard that China kind of rejects this claim that they're in a power competition with the U.S., but this is kind of the U.S.'s purpose in that. So, like I said, I'm sorry to interject, but wasn't that part of their talks as well? Yeah, I think it, it was driving a wedge between Russia and China, but also addressing by addressing the great power competition narrative. Okay. Because you're you're exactly right, is that China, in their public framing of of all of this, have rejected that it has to be a competition, essentially saying, you know, it's not a zero-sum game, which is a very libertarian argument, mm -hmm. if you think about it. <laughs> From the CCP. Fallacy. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we could we could talk more about, you know, how communist is China exactly. Right. But uh, this fixed pie fallacy, the idea that if, an if another power is rising, it's necessarily at the expense of... A, you know the the power in control mm -hmm. so if if china's a rising power its rise must necessarily come at the cost of u.s empire mm -hmm. uh, which i don't think is i mean i don't know because if if you view everything as well we must dominate the world by force then maybe you could say yes a, another rising military power is definitely a threat to our dominance but if you are someone who believes in you know, human liberty and prosperity, the only way that you really gain power and influence is by meeting the demands of your customers and satisfying wants. And so from an economic standpoint, if China becomes more pop, uh, you know, more uh, successful, it doesn't come at the expense of the United States and our markets. 
unless we are more restrictive in our you know regulatory state than than China is. So all that to say, I think that at some point it became clear to Blinken, at least according to what I read in Moon of Alabama, it became clear to Blinken that he wasn't going to succeed in his mission to go over there and try to wedge Russia and China apart. And I think that it it would it makes sense from Russia or excuse me from China's point of view it makes sense to have the talks because diplomacy is a good thing. You mm -hmm. see the United States, uh, and I talked about in that article about all the steps that the Biden administration has taken in the last few weeks, even mm -hmm. to further confront and exacerbate things with China. So you know you have things like um, new U.S. military bases in the Philippines and Palau being announced, and this Micronesia. Uh, cooperation agreement, which gives, I think, the U.S. supplying weapons to Micronesia, which is this huge area in the Pacific, comprising all these different islands and some kind of a political unit. And it's a it's a sea space that is about the size of the continental United States, which now the U.S. has military naval dominion over. They can um, they can allow other military powers in, I believe, and they can expel any military power that they want. Well, yeah, the one the one important part there too is that Kamala Harris was at the Philippines, if I remember correctly, yeah, you're right. summer. And she did say that we will go to war if um we feel the Philippines is threatened, like very, very clearly, which um you know, you and I talk about this ad nauseum. I mean, you and the Libertarian Institute guys, myself, Reed, you know, all of us guys in these kind of skeptical of you know the US State Department claims about China. Um we're told that they're not, you know, that they're doves on China, they're soft on China. But um, this was like a very, very firm stance that she took against them, specifically over the summer. Um, I remember, I think, watching the video when she was giving the conference there, if I'm remembering the exact thing correctly. But yeah, it's um really interesting. And I didn't know that that was actually that big of an area. So that's even more um, insane to me that they're announcing this huge area where they're saying like, you know, China cannot go here. That's, you know, very, very close to them. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy if you think about it. I mean, of course, the Pacific is a huge, oh, it's the largest ocean in the world. Right. And um, the continent, uh, an area the size of the continental U.S. by comparison might not be, you know, I don't know if it's a sixth or an eighth of the entire area of the Pacific. It might even be less than that. But it's still a huge area that the United States can deny access to. Moreover, it's close. I mean, it's somewhat in the neighborhood of China. You know, it's I mean, it's much closer to China than it is to the the continental United States. <laughs> so but essentially, you're just turning that waterway into you a U.S. lake. Mm -hmm. And um, the it's interesting, the U.S. relationship with the Philippines, too, because I, I believe that the Philippines itself have been a huge part of U.S. colonialism uh, over the last 100 years. And you have an interesting history there with, with um, yeah, let's see. Um, in 1898, the Philippine Revolution began, which then became entwined with the 19, or 1898 Spanish-American War, uh, where Spain ceded the territory to the United States. And the Spanish-American War is really known as one of the first stepping stones on the United States way to empire. Mm -hmm. And so they gained that territory after the Spanish-American War. Um, and then there was a Philippine-American War where the United States um, 
got control over that territory what until they maintained that until the Japanese invaded in World War II. Um, and then the Philippines became independent in 1946. Um, but it has this weird kind of colonial uh, imperial relationship with the United States, uh, which is something interesting too. Now we're still like claiming some kind of, in a way, dominion, because if you're a protectorate of another country, are you really autonomous? I mean, right. you might have some degree of autonomy, but if if your security depends on the U.S. empire... You're you're a fucking outpost. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the other interesting thing that you kind of brought up there was uh, Japan and how actually the U.S. is shaping up with Japan, where Japan's planning on doubling their military budget over the next couple of years. I believe. Um, I think they said it was supposed to go up to five billion dollars or something like that. I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but um, over the next. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Where I get the number five from was over the next five years, they're planning to double their military budget, and this specifically basically at the behest of the United States to counter China in the region. Um, so, you know, everyone's focused on Ukraine and, you know, you and I both talk about this a decent bit, but like my main focus is on this China-Taiwan situation just because this is like getting no air coverage at all. And another thing that we kind of shake our fists at the sky at is the populist right-wingers appropriate skepticism with a lot of this stuff, but then they just take this shit and run with it is um you know as soon as it comes off the presses and once again to tie back into the balloon situation this is the same deal it's an emp device marjorie taylor green is ranting and raving saying this is a balloon and biden's weak because he won't shoot it down and then even some libertarians saying that um you know if the balloon was over the united states or canada then you know you know they wouldn't shoot it down because you know the implication there is that these governments are owned by china which is just so funny to me and no matter what you give to people or what you tell people you just can't <laughs> disabuse them of this narrative yeah i got frustrated with some libertarians who were saying uh the proper libertarian response and and what we would do is we would shoot the balloon down before it even over you know came over the continental united states if we mm -hmm. knew the pathway or and of course um i said my main problem with that is that Where's diplomacy in all this? You know, you're starting a violent reaction, a shoot first kind of um, stance and posture. And I think, you know, what if what if it was a different type of situation? I mean, you you can't have that approach right away because now we've established we it, you give the U.S. State Department what they want is establishing this precedent of we're going to shoot first and ask questions later and have diplomacy later. Right. And you see the U.S. State Department. I think it was. Uh, I think Mark Milley, he's the joint chairman, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, I believe. I always get them mixed up with Lloyd Austin and Mark Milley. But somebody called the the uh, Chinese defense minister, and the Chinese defense minister rejected the call. I got it right when I talked to Scott about it. But the, <laughs> the, the Chinese defense minister rejected the call. And there was, you know a hubbub about that kind of protestation from the United States. Uh, but you really see where this kind of thing gets you. I mean, none of the facts are known. They're especially not known, or maybe they are, but they're not revealed before the balloon comes over the United States. And in fact, I think they track the balloon all the way from mainland China. Now, I don't know when they knew that, but they eventually and admitted, basically, I think they admitted 
I haven't been able to keep up to it as closely as I did for writing the article, but I think they essentially admitted like, yeah, we're not releasing any more information about this. And it was probably a weather balloon, right? Or or like the narrative slowly crept closer to that. Yeah. And and that's what I um I mean, I don't I don't mean to toot my own horn, but that's what I predicted in my interview with Scott is that basically what I think is gonna happen is that they're going to start to pick up all the pieces or at least pretend like they're recovering this aircraft over the coast. They probably waited to shoot it down until it was over the coast so that they could lose the components. Mm -hmm. And um, I had air quotes if you didn't pick up on that for the audio version. But they would, you know, try to find or at least make it look like they were trying to find the components, basically find some things and then just wait for it to get out of the news cycle when when the purpose of the narrative had been achieved and now we right. don't need it. We don't want to answer any more questions about it now. The, the visit is canceled. Uh, we had a big to-do that covered up to see more Hirsch revelations about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline bombing. Right. And, I mean, conveniently, maybe they, I don't know, speculation. Maybe they knew Seymour Hirsch was cooking on this article and that he was going to drop it. And they started this international diplomatic crisis before he was going to drop it. I mean, you would have to think that of all people who's under surveillance, fucking Seymour Hirsch is under surveillance. <laughs> you know, like they probably yeah. have access to his Google Drive through through the NSA or something like that. There, there has to be some task force or unit that's mm -hmm. always keeping track of Seymour Hirsch and trying to see what he's going to reveal next, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, no, that's definitely a uh, very interesting takeaway, and I think most people of our ilk probably thought the same thing, because there were way too many coincidences there. Like, you know, so you have this balloon that just conveniently comes over, um, you know, the U.S., and they're ramping up tensions with China, but we were supposed to have a diplomatic meeting, and then once again, the Seymour Hersh article comes out, and now all this stuff kind of gets swept under the rug, conveniently in favor of the government, and it, which essentially enables them to posture more towards China. It's just way too many boxes just got checked off at once for me to really believe that that was just, you know, happenstance. And maybe it is, maybe it's not. Um, but I'm also of the mind, like, if this balloon really was some kind of EMP device, if this wasn't serving a greater purpose, the country that killed a million Iraqis, don't you think they would handle a balloon, like, in their sleep if they really thought it was some kind of big deal? Like, I, I just... I refuse to believe that our own government that did all the things that it's done to the Middle East over the last 20 years would really let a balloon even remotely threaten its citizens or its sovereignty. Well, the strange thing that comes out, too, is that all these admissions, even in even in the Pentagon's own press releases, when they first came public with this information, admitted that there were previous balloon flyovers of the United States mm -hmm. from China. Oh, but this one, you know, it was longer than the other yeah. ones They, you know, and, and then it comes out that all these countries have weather balloon programs and the, oh, wait, the schematics for the weather balloon are publicly available on <laughs> China, you know, this Chinese uh, company's website. And then people like Marjorie Taylor Greene are speculating and saying, well, listen, it's a big deal because you see every single country or every single company in china is the chinese communist party because they're communist right well that's and yeah I, I i really want to nail down on that point right there because this is something that a lot of people who are hawkish on china do 
everything that's involved with China is property of the CCP, which to me, it doesn't seem that clear. So the one thing that I've really taken effort to debunk a lot is this idea that TikTok is this, you know, satanic spying device or this satanic spying app of the CCP that they're using to collect all your data. But literally it takes like a two second Google search to find out they settled a deal like eight months ago now that um, all the private data is stored on US servers. I think it's like in Indiana or something like that. The details are a little fuzzy. I've done threads on it for but um even like there were some employees who work for bite dance over in china that were accessing private records and those people were like fired immediately like they made sure these people couldn't do this so um there's not just that and then the owner of um the former owner of bite dance i think he lives in like thailand or something like that but he still kind of shapes the way that the company goes um it just seems like this is just once again another thing to posture to China for. I mean, you see this coming out with Christy Nome banning TikTok and all government devices, and everybody's talking about this now. It's just there's just so much posturing around it, and people just bite this shit up. But it's so funny because a lot of the time people are sharing videos from TikTok talking about how bad TikTok is, or they're in a TikTok format. Oh, you're muted. Yeah, thanks. Um, the the TikTok thing is interesting. It, it, I don't know, because you always say, well, you know, yeah, I mean, you're all outraged about China and this country that literally, I mean, Chinese government policy has absolutely no effect on the lives of modern day Americans, except maybe for the fact that maybe the United States copied their COVID response. Maybe. But I really think that it wasn't it wasn't China doing it and us following their example. I think it was, you know, the WEF or or other shadier people, it, moneyed interests in the background who really shaped the COVID response, in my opinion. Right. Um, but, yeah, you see things like TikTok. I mean, you compare it to the, to the NSA's PRISM program, things that we know about from whistleblowers like uh, William Binney and Russ Tice and then Edward Snowden. Uh, which is a topic we can get into on another podcast because I I don't know I'm a little skeptical of Edward Snowden I don't I don't <laughs> think that he's completely on the up and up because well I'll get into it now um, I think there's 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 like threads from way back in the day where Edward Snowden was criticizing whistleblowers and he was like super patriotic about it and maybe that was posturing or something like that but it was always like. Have I talked to you about this before? No, but I've heard, Monica, been... I've heard Monica Perez talk about it a little yeah. bit. And this isn't something that I've really dove deep on. But after hearing about it, it's really interesting because he really does lay out like how deep he is in intelligence. And I, I did hear this funny enough on Tim Pool of all fucking people. But he said, uh, once CIA, always CIA. And after hearing that you kind of start looking around at some things and you learn about conspiracies and stuff like that. And it's, it's kind of hard to take a lot of this shit that seems like a real big, like dump to be genuine at all times. So like, um, I, I, I know before we got on here, we were shooting the shit a little bit about the, uh, the rally. Um, <laughs> I met Clint there for the first time and, I never thought I was like that much of a skeptical person, but he literally told me, he's like, man, I wish I was as skeptical as you are about everything. <laughs> it's it's just, you know, the, the way I kind of look at stuff, but, you know, it's just over time, you kind of see these patterns happen over and over again. And 
I've now kind of grown accustomed to you can like throw out 100% of what the mainstream news tells you and you'll probably be okay. And then alt media, you can treat like 75% of it with skepticism and you'll be pretty damn good. And like the people that you know, like someone like you or Dave DeCamp, I can buy what you tell me pretty much no matter what, because I know that you'll be able to verify it, especially like Dave, because everyone, well, not to sorry that sounded like a dunk but um like when dave puts something up on twitter he always puts an article or a screenshot right afterwards oh, right. Yeah. so yeah. that like i have no problem with that but like a lot of these other main you know alt platforms that are like mainstream alternative media um you don't know if you're always getting accurate information so i know that's a long tangent but it's just i'm so skeptical of everything that goes on even like this james o'keefe deal i just I think there's so many ulterior motives at this point and that alt media is so big because it's now to the point that surpassed mainstream media. So like you're, you mean to tell me that all of these people are still genuine actors from, you know, just that, that they're still the same grassroots startups. Like, sorry if I once again, treat this skeptically as I do with the mainstream news, you should always like, if you really like somebody trust their stuff, but always verify. Right. And I, with with Snowden, like I'm not saying one thing definitively or the right. other. I'm just saying like my I heard this because I, I looked at it a few years ago and I think James Corbett had an episode where he looked into this pretty closely. Mm -hmm. And one of the main things too, aside from you know, those threads and kind of his background, uh, was the fact that Russ Tyson, William Binney had already come out with all the things that Snowden came out with. Mm -hmm. Uh, they had already yeah, talked about in detail and Snowden comes out and all of a sudden it's all about the metadata and it's not about, you know, real time monitoring communications, basically getting all of your internet activity, all of like pretty much everything you've ever done online being saved in real time, like everything. And I know Snowden, like he went on, I don't know, a tonight show or something like that and said, yeah, the NSA has your dick pics. Like, now, I don't know if, you know, because maybe he did reveal some of that, mm -hmm. but it seemed like the real focus was this metadata thing. But anyways, um, I kind of forgot what we were talking about before that. <laughs> we were um, talking about a uh, TikTok and uh, just kind of the panic about them stealing your data. And then, oh, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the NSA program, right? I mean, they could say, yeah, okay, well, you know, you libertarian autist or whatever. But but China's different because it's a foreign country or something like that. Well, and, and we we always hear that they're an actively hostile actor, which right, which yeah. is just so it, it's one of the most grand claims in the world because it's just like really, what do you call the U.S. All right, everybody, we're going to take a little break from the show real quick to tell you about the show's sponsors. I am now working with the great Stephen Fox to bring you Fox & Sons coffee. As you can see, I got two bags right here, or for those listening, I was holding two bags. Um, it is organically roasted up in Michigan. If you're a caffeine addict, much like myself, um, then head over to foxandsonscoffee.com to get yourself some of their fantastic coffee. They got a light roast, which I'm holding in my hand. Um, they have the Electric Boogaloo blend, which is fantastic as well. I just had it this morning. And if you're like me, you like dark roast coffee, which kicks you right in the freaking face first thing in the morning. Um, they have that for you as well. So head over to foxandsonscoffee.com. Use code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, to get yourself a little discount. Let them know that I sent you. And um, get yourself caffeinated, get jacked and tan, and do what you got to do. All right, guys, back to the podcast. Thanks.
<laughs> right. Well, and they're they're weaponizing wokeness, right? That they're using TikTok <laughs> to spread transgender or trans yeah. ideology. Well, I even heard as you? far as recently that uh, China sent a whole bunch of ballots over here I'm, I'm, for the 2020 election. I'm like, oh, that's that's a new one. I mean, just replace China with Russia. I mean, mm. and, and oh yeah, conservatives should see how unhinged that kind of stuff is. Right. But the other thing is fentanyl, right? And and I was glad that I looked into it a little bit here too. Okay, I'm, I'm actually really glad you're touching on this. I'm sorry to interrupt again, but uh, no, no, I've I've dug into this too. So I'm curious, kind of where you got with this, and then uh, yeah, we could like change notes here because this has been something that I got kind of nailed to the wall with a couple times when I was kind of bumping heads with people over China, and then once I kind of dug into it, I'm like, okay, so I I found what I found, but I obviously want the uh, listeners to kind of hear what you have on it first. All right, well, I'll pull it up here because I – so this is the DEA's intelligence report from January 2020. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fentanyl flow to the United States. It's an unclassified document that I linked to in my article. It's like a PDF, right? Yeah, it is. And I don't know if you followed the link to it and and read it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the thing is is that fentanyl is a pharmaceutical drug, right? Fentanyl is used as a sedative. And so the fact that China is leads the world in fentanyl production itself is not a nefarious fact, right? It's like, okay, well, if we were to turn the tables and say that morphine, that the United States is the leading supplier of morphine, now, okay, you could get into the opium thing and all about Afghanistan and the heroin trade, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you could it could be used for nefarious drug trafficking, black market kind of stuff. But just the fact that a country produces a pharmaceutical drug and has it um, as their main production doesn't necessarily mean that it's nefarious, right? right. I mean, maybe if you could say, well, the, yeah, the U.S. leads the world in meth production. May, that might even be true, right? right. And, and, you know, the United States is the main methamphetamine exporter to China, would that necessarily mean it's a U.S. government plot to destroy China? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, it says um, in the executive summary, uh, the flow of fentanyl into the U.S. in 2019 is more diverse compared to the start of the fentanyl crisis in 2014, mm-hmm. with new source countries and new transit countries emerging as significant trafficking nodes. Um, new source countries... Further, this complicates law enforcement operations and policy efforts to stem the flow of fentanyl into the U.S. While Mexico and China are the primary source countries for fentanyl and fentanyl-related substances trafficked directly into the U.S., India is emerging as a source for finished fentanyl powder and fentanyl precursor chemicals. Mm. So you don't hear anything about India attacking the United States with its fentanyl. No. Or you don't hear anything about Mexico attacking the United States. But you do hear things about China trafficking fentanyl through Mexico. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So I'm glad you added that caveat there because I think I've seen Matt Gates say that, uh, you know, we should bomb Sinaloa. And then he literally put not kidding after that. Yeah. And then I'm sure you've probably seen this as well. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Ron DeSantis bringing up all the fentanyl deaths. Where Marjorie Taylor Greene's key um, – takeaway on this is that there's 300 fentanyl deaths a day now i don't know if you've looked into this but i think i must have visited i want to say like anywhere from like three to five websites i could not find 300 deaths a day i couldn't find anywhere near 300 deaths a day i think the highest number i found was like 176 a day which 
One is too many, don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. we don't live in a perfect world. I mean, people are going to die no matter what. People are going to choose to take this stuff. And yes, there are nefarious people who like, you know, who fucking splice the shit up. Um, I actually kind of had to disabuse my wife of the, the notion that you could die from touching fentanyl. I, I, because this is a pervasive thing as well. So, um, yeah, both a, a lot of these populist right wing figures are, or figures are kind of painting this grim picture that once again, there's 300 people dying a day of fentanyl, but there is zero evidence for that claim. And I'm not telling people to go out there and you should go, you know, buy all the drugs laced with fentanyl and fentanyl's okay. No, this is bad. I don't know shit about it, but I know you probably shouldn't take it. Um, but there's no evidence that 300 people are, are dying a day, and that's very, very hyperbolic. And once again, what's this under the guise of China's, you know, trafficking fentanyl through Mexico to kill Americans? So therefore, we got to do something about China because they're an actively hostile actor. Even though in 2019, um, I think it was April of 2019, they actually made um, making fentanyl illegally in China illegal, and there were like harsh punishments for it, if I recall correctly. I just did the math, and if there were 300 people dying per day of fentanyl, that would be 109,500 deaths per year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to look up the leading causes of death in the U.S. to see heart disease. Hands heart down disease would be number one. Okay, heart. Put to put it in perspective. Heart disease. 700,000 people die per year from heart disease in the United States. So you're saying that, or or to put it in more perspective, 100,000 people die every year from diabetes. So you're saying there's as many people dying from fentanyl every year as there is from diabetes? Yeah. I think that's our claim. And they they keep saying that it's a leading cause of death for ages people 18 to 45. Um, really? I, I I've heard them say that, but I've once again I I didn't go looking this far into it, so I don't want to say one way or the other. Um, once again, I'm very very skeptical to buy that claim. It sounds bad, but you know a lot of this other stuff is once again jit, or you know aimed at ginning up tensions. This is crazy. Okay, sorry, I just found this. Yeah, it's okay. According according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, all in 2000. In 2021, the total drug overdose deaths from any drug was 106,000. Mm-hmm. So they're saying that 109,000 people die from fentanyl when the overall rate, you know, the overall number of people that die from drug, all drug overdoses, including prescription drugs, is 106,000. So, oh, yeah, that doesn't make shit. any sense. Okay. So, you know what? I'm. I'd be willing to bet that they probably found that stat somewhere and then just kind of said, oh, well, those must all be fentanyl. So we're just going to say that's fentanyl because your numbers are really close there. So that's the only logical explanation that I can come up with. Because if you look – I think I looked at like the stats for Missouri. Um, I think I looked at stats on the CDC and I can't remember where else. Um, Once again, I've done threads on this on Twitter where, um, like I said, the numbers I came up with, I think one website was like 154 a day and then 179 or 176 being the highest that I could find. And once oh. again, I, I want to say these might have been older stats, but um, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I overlooked something, but those were the numbers I come with. I, I could not find anything concrete for 300 a day strictly from fentanyl, and that's always the claim.
Okay, yeah, I'll I, have to put that thing in the uh Yeah, I just I sent you the link for the show notes page and mm-hmm. hopefully it'll remind me to put it in there too. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that's crazy, man. Um so I'll in, I'll send you the link to this DEA document too, but I mm-hmm. think the real kicker here, Kyle, is um this is what I cited in my paper or in that piece. Effective May 1st, 2019, China officially controlled all forms of fentanyl as a class of drugs. This fulfilled the commitment that President Xi made during the G20 summit. The implementation of these new measures includes investigations of known fentanyl manufacturing areas, stricter control of internet sites advertising fentanyl, stricter enforcement of shipping regulations, and the creation of special teams to investigate leads on fentanyl trafficking. These new restrictions have been the, have the potential to severely limit fentanyl production and trafficking from China. So how could this be a Chinese plot to destroy the United States right. if she and and the CCP is openly cracking down on fentanyl production and shipments if it's that, openly yeah. illegal and controlled? That was exactly what I found and that was the same conclusion that I came to. Um and you have to imagine that they're probably pretty harsh with the punishments for that. But, um, you know, this is another thing that a lot of the uh, right-wingers are kind of clamoring for. I mean, you even saw Donald Trump make his announcement today um, from that MAGA War Room account where they're saying they want to bring back Stop and Frisk. And, you know, Donald Trump famously said that we should bring back the death penalty for drug dealers. And I... I <laughs> I want to approach this with nuance because it's like um, I I live in a poor area in Pennsylvania, essentially, right? Um, So I get why people resonate with that because they feel like they were done unjust by bad people. So it's completely reasonable to say, hey, I want to see justice done for these people. But um, you got to think that, you know, the people that may have died from these drug overdoses, these people still made unfortunate decisions that did ultimately lead their demise. Like, I don't believe we should say that McDonald's is a hostile actor because people can't stop eating quarter pounders, you know, that there's, there's agency here and people are seeking to take that away. But, you know, a lot of these popular right ringers are also cracking down on a lot of drug stuff where there actually was some positive progress in this. And one more caveat and I'll turn it back over to you. I'm not a drug guy. Never smoked weed a day in my life. Never smoked a cigarette, never chewed, no tobacco, nothing like that. I hate this shit. But that doesn't mean I believe people don't have a right to do that if they want to do it. I've done all those things. <laughs> um, well, I, I just think that um, – I mean I don't really believe that conservatives have this – They, I don't believe they stay up late at night worrying about you know, drug addicts dying in the gutter. I just don't buy that from <laughs> conservatives. You know? I mean maybe, maybe they worry about – you know, Grammy and Pappy going to church and, oh, you know, Jason, our our nephew, he's in a bad way and he's addicted to those demon drugs or something like that. But I don't I don't buy for one day that they care about drug addicts. And je- I mean, one day, have, have any of these people actually represented drug addicts in court and, and got them, you know, tried to get them to treatment and worked with them? I've done that personally. I personally helped these people. And um, I mean... So I I don't know. It 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 just it is what it is and but maybe you could make the argument that okay yeah well China openly is trying to fight the drug war right but 
on the black market, they might be just like the United States and have some kind of huge CIA drug running operation where they're weaponizing it or doing something like that. And then, I mean, again, you just got to look in the mirror because the United States has destroyed our own communities and destroyed other countries in the pursuit of drugs mm. um, and in black market <clears throat> drug smuggling. I mean, I already mentioned Afghanistan, um, you know, so I, I would talk more with uh, Kyle Anselone and Will Porter about that, though, because they had a great piece about the opium crop in Afghanistan back in like 2018 or 19, mm. uh, really going through and. Um, I think that they dispute, you know, that, oh, well, obviously Afghanistan wasn't all about the opium trade or pinning that down or something, but I think it was a part of it. And, you know, this whole conspiracy kind of in alt media circles that, you know, it was all a war for opium and control of the opium trade through Europe. And that might be a part of it, um, but they have more details on that than I do. Yeah, well, kind of speaking about them, um, I, I look at you guys and the guys that, you know, we talk to frequently as kind of like my political and even like Twitter North Stars, because, uh, you know, as I'm a little bit known for and unfortunately developing a, a reputation for, it seems, is kind of going <laughs> for, for the jugular a little bit. And I, I have noticed that there are some notable people that I like that I told you unfollowed me, unfortunately. And I mean, it is what it is. And, you know, I still wish them well. I still support these people. But, um, you know, maybe they don't feel the same way about me. And, you know, if the, the, I'm sure there's errors on my part. But um, there was the rally over the last weekend. Um, and... We're hearing everybody freaking out. Oh, there were Trotskyites and communists and all these horrible people that were there that aren't anti-war and they want you dead. That's always the, the fucking kicker that I just – um, you guys seem to have a really good relationship with people who don't agree with you guys on everything. And I would like to believe that I maintain the same relationship, although I am critical of people who are bad on issues and I'm not afraid to be critical of anyone, including libertarians, including Republicans, Democrats, you name it. I'm not afraid to fucking nail people um, over bullshit. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I know you and I share the same frustration when it comes to people just shutting the fuck up and getting shit done. So um, I, I know I kind of threw a lot at you there, but um. Uh, like I said, I know you share some frustrations in people not playing nice with people who aren't libertarians. Yeah, it is It is frustrating. I mean, the hubris in the belief that we're going to get anything accomplished being a small fringe niche minority of people. I, I mean, the reality of this, even though libertarians took a leading role in organizing the event, the reality of it is that, I mean, I heard from people who were there, including yourself, that uh, the split was probably 70-30, 30% libertarians and 70% anti-war leftists. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no getting over the fact that the left is the home of the modern anti-war activism. I mean, you know, starting, at least starting with, with the anti-Vietnam war uh, protests and then the war, you know, the... Um, trying to prevent the the war in Iraq, the invasion of Iraq, well, Iraq War II, mm -hmm. um, was mainly a leftist. Yeah, I mean, even Iraq War One, it was a leftist thing. If you watch uh, Generation Kill, well, that was about Iraq War II. I'm trying to think, it wasn't... <sighs> shit. There was a movie, anyways, where they're talking about, I think it might be Generation Kill, 
uh, where they're talking about, you know, pussy leftists and opposing the war in Iraq, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but that's no secret. And, and I think that we just have to kind of push that aside and we just get too caught up in our own internet circles. Um, frankly, I think it's, it's a bit of insecurity too, because I'm not insecure about believing in libertarianism. I don't feel like I'm afraid of leftists and their ideas. I just, I'm not, You're not looking under your bed for them because they're going to kill you. I'm not, no, I, I'm not, I'm not afraid of, of their ideas and, and leftists and people, you know, trying to come get me with their ideas or, or my ideas being inferior to the point where I feel like I have to seek them out and attack them or criticize them or anything like that. And furthermore, like the whole point of voluntarism is that you believe that any system can function or, or any system should be allowed to function as long as it's a, as long as I can opt out. So if communists want to have their own, you know, red state somewhere, that's fine with me as long as I can opt out. Now, of course, post-libertarians would probably come and say, well, you can't opt out. They're not going to let you opt out. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if communist China is communist China and I don't have to live there, what are we going to do? Are we going to go over there and prevent them from being communists? I mean, we can prevent them from subsuming us into their system, uh, but I'd like to see real evidence that they're going to do that by force. Uh, now, the problem is, is that we live in a country in the current year where, you know, the culture war is what it is. But. Yeah. And my kind of retort to the whole post-libertarian thing, and I, I don't like to bump heads with these people um, just because, like, I, I like a lot of them. Um, I think the answer is kind of, you know, you don't fire unless fired upon. If you were to have the situation, and this just sounds so utopian, um, where you do have your little covenant community where it's all you and your social conservative friends and you know, you guys go to church on Sundays and then people come over with woke stuff. Um, you make it firmly known that like, Hey, you're this kind of ideology, this kind of culture isn't welcome here. And this is what we do around here. If you guys want to join, then, you know, we can talk about that, but otherwise, no, um, I don't see why that's unreasonable. And I, I just, I get so tired with intellectual lethargy, which I think happens on all ends, including post-libertarians, including libertarians, including communists. Everybody does this where once again, you know, it's, oh, well, libertarianism is just taken over by progressives. Well, no, not really. And then once again, the communists, oh, well, all communists are the same and they've been the same all throughout history. Well, there's a little bit more nuance there. And look, I'm not fucking tipping for communists, but I'm just saying like, these people think that all these people are literally going to like institute, you know, the Maoist version of fucking China and kill a hundred million people like that. That's not going to happen. And the people who were there, once again, there were like literally six people who were wearing communist gear and everybody looked at them like they were fools because they, they were, when you come dressed in a red ski mask with a fucking, you know, the little red hat on, have a giant Soviet flag, you look ridiculous. And everybody thought they did. Now the people were just, you know, socialists or people who were like Bernie bros that are a little bit more extreme. I, I'm pretty sure I probably bumped into a few of them and said, Hey, and then, um, you know, I went and hung out with pasta and Courtney, um, banks, I think her name is. And a couple of the other, uh, like left-leaning people, they were just fucking nice people. Like, right. can, can we not just hang out? Oh, I also met a uh, Misty, um, who 
Comrade Misty, Misty Winston. Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, I met her and she was really, really cool as well. Yeah, so like, cool. are we just supposed to like say fuck these people because they disagree with some stuff? I don't, I don't know. I hung out with them. We drank together. <laughs> Things yeah. were good. You know what the fuck? Well, that's like touching grass. You know how important <laughs> yeah. it is really to get out of and yeah, going to events and stuff like that really helps too. But it's not just the post-libertarians because, I don't know, maybe it's just that they blocked me and I don't, like, Twitter's not shoving shoving them in my face anymore. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they're really not relevant. I mean, they there was a moment. But at this point in time, um, I'm not just talking about the post-libertarians. I'm talking about the paleos, too. Yeah. And it really seems like the paleos, I feel like, have lost the plot because it's, it. Lou Rockwell was probably as paleo-libertarian as you can get. You know, and Lou Rockwell was one of the most vocal anti-China hawk voices out there. And but if if you've read um what is it? The it's not the left, right in the state, it's um against the left. And you read Lou Rockwell's positions on some things like the women's rights movement and and marriage and stuff like that. I mean, the guys ultra conservative mm-hmm. but even he you know maybe he comes from from the the perspective that pete does on Timcast, where he's like well i'm the biggest baddest fucking right winger you ever saw and i'm not afraid of no <laughs> damn chai comms or anything but even on some level i think that goes a little bit too far because you see some people who are belittling china to the point where it's like okay like yeah china's not taking over the world tomorrow but they're not going to implode into a crater in the next 10 years either. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they got problems, but it's not like society ending pro like I'm not going to put money on the idea that China is going to become like basically a failed state in the next 10 years by itself. I just don't see that happening. Um. So, but yeah, like you say, I mean, we really, it really, I think it comes down to, are you a, how are you as a person? I mean, are you a well-rounded, adjusted person who can, this is like my whole life, I hated rap music, right? And then for some reason, when I was in law school, you know, I was always a metalhead, right? I always liked, I was an elitist metalhead too. Yeah. And I, I always listened to the heaviest, brutalist like metal you ever could. I didn't like deathcore because I was, you know, I was an old school, like pure like, um, you know, purest of the pure libertarian. I was that for heavy metal. Yeah. And I think in law school, I had this buddy who uh, was the only other like metalhead in my law school class. And shout out Josh. And I noticed him right away. And I was like, friend, but he wasn't a, a metalhead. He was a hardcore kid. Mm-hmm. And and I guess I was too sheltered to really know that that whole scene existed, right? But we became friends, and he opened my horizons to, of course, I like thrash metal, which is basically punk mixed with metal yeah. and crossover stuff. But he opened my eyes to, and he, and he was a Bernie bro. Mm. Uh, like, he was a progressive, you know, kind of social justice a bit of a guy. I mean, he was a hardcore kid. yeah. And so he opened my eyes to rap music and like different perspectives of different communities. And, uh, I mean, he was a white kid, but he, um, and, and I realized that there's all this rap music out there that 
I'm, you know, even though I don't always agree with everything from that perspective, you're really cutting yourself off from really getting a lot of enjoyment out of life. If you are so close-minded that you're not willing to entertain things and at least look at things and take what you can appreciate from those things and really enjoy them. And I think it's the same thing with the left and people from the left. It's like, hell, I mean, I'm sure you had this experience having a real banger of a conversation with someone where you're just like, yes, 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 all of that. It's so awesome. And you are so good at this and you know it so well. And we really gel on this. Now let's not talk about that other thing because what's the point? Right. Why would we do that? You know, read the fucking room here. (laughs) are we going to sit are we going to sit and argue about medicare for all when literally i mean biden is in kiev visiting Zelensky, and you know the the russia backed off of like the last arms control treaty that we have Mm -hmm. and now they're gearing up for an offensive in ukraine and i don't know it's fucking scary dude and you're gonna sit here and bitch and moan about these things and i just don't like but i am so And and when you talk about theory too, I am tired of theory. Like I'm tired of talking about theory. It's not even having the purity spiral libertarian conversations. It's, it's talking theory because even like the post libertarians will talk theory. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about fucking monetary policy right now. I know that's important. Right. And it's always been important and it's what we've gone over but I don't want to fucking talk about, I'm so tired. Like read the room. Yes. If we ended the fed, the war machine couldn't exist, but we're on the brink of world war three right now. You think we have a chance of ending the fed or auditing the fed. We can't even audit our aid to Ukraine. So sorry, I went off on a thing, but fuck. No, dude, I, I agree completely. And yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing. And like when, I know you've talked or you on the four horsemen with Eric Jackman. And I, I like the way that he explained his support for Medicare for all. Um, he said, look, if we have money to blow up children in Afghanistan and Iraq, then I don't understand why we can't have money to, you know, fix people at home. So I, I was thinking about putting this out in a tweet. And I know it would just piss absolutely everybody off. It'd be hilarious. But if I had to choose between empire and Medicare for all, I'm going to choose Medicare for all because at least that like helps people. Now, once again, I'm a libertarian, right? Anarchist libertarian at heart. But once again, if we're talking about in, you know, a world where you could pick and choose, you know, the, the devil, you know, or the devil, you don't, I'd rather go with the devil. You don't in this situation, just because, you know, once again, Medicare for all in this theory world, at least isn't actively killing people, you know, at the behest of arms manufacturers. Now we could also debate that the, um, you know, Medicare for all system probably does kill a lot of people, but it's not intentional just to make um, arms manufacturers more money. But um, just kind of like that non-dogmatism that I see with someone Mm -hmm. like Eric and a lot of these left-leaning people, something that I really, really respect. And when I see libertarians doing the same thing, I also come to really respect that because like, it's just like you said, um, if we just sit here and scream about Ancapistan and how there should be no warfare state and, you know, just this stuff that nobody, this esoteric garbage that a lot of people may not be able to gra- grapple with, um, we're never going to get anywhere. But if we do talk to people who agree with us on stuff and even nobody's saying that we can't coalition with right wingers, nobody is saying that. But and I think we should. 
right, for, right. for the record. Yes, and, and I completely agree. But the problem is everybody's saying you can't coalition with left-wingers. That's where you and I are kind of like, okay, well, w- what's the problem here? Because if, if we're saying we can coalition with all these people who said that we should turn Afghanistan and all the Middle East into a sheet of glass, and now a lot of them still say we should turn Iran into you know, a sheet of glass and that they're these horrible actors um why can't we coalition with them on uh, you know ending the ukraine aid you know you and i have both universally praised matt gates and marjorie taylor green for being outspoken about ukraine aid and then um matt gates putting forth this ukraine fatigue aid bill or whatever the heck it's called we've praised them for that but though we've equally criticized them for being you know hawkish on china it's not like this has to be a one-size-fits-all thing or a binary like some people would be you believe all right, guys, um, I'm absolutely thrilled with the uh, show's new sponsor. Um, I am now sponsored and uh, have an affiliate through LMNT Electrolytes. Um, I have used these electrolytes for years. Um, back when I used to do a lot of fasting, in fact, I used to drink, sometimes I want to say up to seven a day, seven little packets. So um, the packets are full of all the electrolytes that you need to perform and hydrate yourself properly. Um you need sodium for pretty much every single function in your body, despite what um, a lot of people may tell you. Um, sodium doesn't actually cause a lot of the issues that uh, people kind of would have you believe. So um, just real quick to give you a little bit of facts. Um, you don't need sugar to hydrate. Electrolytes and water don't require glucose to pass through the gut. The average American consumes over 60 pounds of sugar a year. And um, when it comes to athletic performance, um, you can actually lose up to seven grams per day in hot climate. So um, make sure you click on the affiliate link below to get all your hydration needs. And like I said, I'm super stoked to have these guys um, teamed up with the podcast and uh, just make sure you get your uh, electrolytes through Element. All right, guys, thanks. Yeah, it's like, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is quickly turning into like my Tulsi of the right. And like, <laughs> like read Coverdale's, like the same relationship Reed has with Tulsi, I feel like I have the same feeling with for Marjorie Taylor Greene. She put out that tweet that you sent me saying basically yeah. like we're inching closer to war with with uh, Russia over Ukraine. And now it's turning into war with Russia and China over Ukraine mm-hmm. and that we cannot allow this or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, like I will praise her up and down for that tweet. Like that is, that is incredible. It's one of the best things I've heard her say. And it makes me feel much better about her other hawkish rhetoric. If when it comes down to it, she's going to speak out against war with China, because I might think that she does definitely give carries water for the policies that bring us closer to war with China. But if she does come out resolutely against war with China and explicitly against it, then that makes her so much better in my book. Now, is it perfect? No, but at least she's saying, well, there's a line that we can't cross. She might be taking us closer to that line, but at least she's saying explicitly that she doesn't want to cross that line. Right. Well, and and one thing that annoyed me, and I think you might understand what I'm getting at here, is uh, people are saying that it's it's basically meaningless to be – you know, anti-Ukraine aid. And I, I, I give credence to that perspective because at this point, it really doesn't mean too, too much, but um, at least in like the grand scheme of things. But at the same time, we have to remember that these, that, that this is resonating with normies, right? Like when I go into work, um, I'm, I'm a fucking mechanic. All the guys I work with 
are like, well, Biden's over in Ukraine right now, but he's not visiting East Palestine right now. Um, you know, we can find all this money for Ukraine, but we can't find money for this. Yeah. People are questioning this stuff. So when you have somebody like a Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Matt Gates, people who are, you know, shaky in some areas, but go on others, when you hear them talking about this stuff, the normies take this and they run with it and they love it. So, you know, kind of like we've been laying out here, it's important that, you know, you do have people who are willing to kind of set a line and we praise people when they're good and hold their feet to the fire when they're bad. I don't think this has to be a partisan hack job game where you say that DeSantis is going to end the Ukrainian war, which is one of the funniest things I think I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Hey, and if he does, that'd be great. Yes. Uh, and we'd be all for it. Yes. I don't buy it either. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. When it comes to, to that kind of thing, what I've been saying since the beginning and why I really see as serious anti-war people aligning with people on the left and, and knowing that there's a greener pasture there for it. Not that I like, it might be my own ignorance, but I'm not sitting around here looking and seeing commentators on the right who are as good on the anti-war issue universally as the left is that know their shit that have large followings. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were so many people at that anti-war rally who were on the left, who had large followings, who knew what they were talking about and were good on both Russia and China. Right. And if there are commentators on the populist, right, people in our spheres who are at least as good as leftists on the Ukraine war. I would love to talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can talk about China and I can try to change their mind. But I just don't see them. I'd love to ally with them or at least coalition with them on that issue. Um, and and I would love if, if anyone knows of people like that, please comment it or leave it because I would love to, to know at least that they exist, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, it, it is kind of like you're howling at the wind sometimes just hoping to see other people get better on this stuff but i i'm you not know, very that, that tweet from marjorie taylor green though like <laughs> that, that makes me that makes me believe and you know phil bishop really actually did change my mind about this because i did come out with an article basically calling her a bad actor and that wasn't the right approach and the right approach really is to try to convince her. And this tweet makes me believe that she is within the realm of influencing or at least trying. It's worthwhile to try to speak to her about it. Right. And I think that's really what needs to happen. Now, I don't know how we go about doing that. But, um, you know, it, it's. I would agree because she kind of has always seemed to be good on this issue where she does, like you said, carry water for a lot of the neocons and the real bad China Hawks, but she stops at war. Now, when you have these guys like Joe Kent, Blake Masters, um, they never quite come out and explicitly say they're against war with China. They're saying that there's going to be Chai comms coming on the coast of California, right. yeah. which is, uh, I, I, I envision it this way, 
and you even hear Steve Bannon talking about demographics in Russia, but it's funny because the demographics that he brings up in Russia are very, very eerily similar to that of China. You're going to have a bunch of 40 year old diabetic Chinese people storming the shores of California. Are you serious? <laughs> like just, it, it doesn't take very much scratching beneath the surface to realize that like a, a military invasion of the United States by China would go horribly and it would be mass casualties for them because what are they gonna do fly in here or are they gonna fly on their balloons or are they gonna sail their navy over here like this would be an absolute nightmare for them yeah so i and i don't know it's just so dumb when you have these figures that say stuff like that because it really i mean that fucking shakes people to their core when you hear that you're gonna have invaders what does that bring up 9-11 and I just don't see any. It should bring up Red Dawn. You know? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's like Schrodinger's, I call it Schrodinger's Russia and Schrodinger's China. You know, at the same time, simultaneously struggling to conquer all of Ukraine, but also about to invade Germany. Mm. Or China, you know, simultaneously producing shitty consumer goods and about to collapse, but also about to invade and land on the beaches of California, you know, or I think the reality of the situation is that like, as Scott said, they would just have their Mervs, you know, that there's these devices that can drop multiple nuclear bombs from one device on multiple cities. And that would just end it in about 10 minutes or so, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But um, I don't know. I think it's, you know, I listened to Carol, uh, Carol Ann Harlos, the the pink haired libertarian lady. I think she's the secretary of the National LP. Yes. Um, I really liked what she had to say because she was at the rally mm-hmm. and she came home and did a live stream when she landed, talking about you know kind of shaming people for for shitting on the rally essentially and shaming people for spreading the picture of Russian flags waving in the background with Angela McCardle on stage there mm-hmm. and. I really agreed with what she had to say and like the specifics of what she said, uh, they're not coming to mind right now. Uh, but I just appreciated that because, you know, and Scott kind of said the same thing as, as she did. And I think I was, I don't, I don't think I talked about the Scott Ritter situation on the show at all or anything like that, but I was disappointed with how the Scott Ritter situation was handled. Like in my opinion, the LP First off, um, they should have had an agreement in place with the left before organizing the rally and inviting speakers on how speakers would be mutually agreed to. That seems to me like one of the first things that you would plan when doing something like this. And I realize that, um, you know, I'm, I'm saying these things with nothing but like res- respect and respectfully because I'm actually really thrilled and was kind of um surprised by how successful the event was but proud that it was pulled off and handled the way that it was and that Angela got on stage and did what she did and was they were able to do this and it was successful and all while she had a young infant and I know that that's really fucking difficult to do so props off to that but if I could make these humble criticisms they should have had that in place and it's a learning experience Um, But once they invited Scott Ritter, they should not have brought more attention to the fact that his history was there. Mm -hmm. So, oh, so first they should have known um, 
They should have had an agreement about how the speakers were to be selected. Secondly, they should have known about his past beforehand, which I'm told that they didn't know about his past. And I think that really just kind of breathes a lack of experience and knowledge of the anti-war movement because this is common knowledge. Thirdly, once he was invited, they shouldn't have uninvited him because it just brought more attention, in my opinion, to the underlying thing. Let the smear pieces fly, but just, you know, go boldly forward, I believe. Once the mistake was made, don't bring more attention to it. And then they reverse course by letting him go, right? And then he was re-invited, and then they started begging him to not come. And that just was, and, and that was like, I don't know, and they, they pissed off Daniel McAdams in the meantime and then almost caused this huge rift between one of the most important anti-war voices in the movement of Daniel McAdams. Right. Um, a rift between the old guard, Ron Paul, real badass anti-war, and the Mises Caucus, which is what is supposed to represent the, the Ron Paul revolution. Yeah. And, and so that was almost a fucking disaster. Mm -hmm. And then I think that McAdams kind of thought about it and realized that whether or not he was right, which I think he was right. Now that doesn't mean I like Scott Ritter or, you know, every, yeah, everything about did. his past, yeah, yeah. but I think that Dan, I was on Daniel's side with the whole thing, thinking about it. Um, but I think he realized that causing the division and throwing the event was not worth it, even though, you know, they, were in the wrong with how they handled the Scott Ritter situation. Not defending Scott and his past or anything on my part, uh, because I just don't know. Right. And I'm not going to condemn him either, because I just don't know. Uh, but I have looked into it a lot more than other people have. I actually read the court opinion. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, all that to be said, it's things I've been thinking about and texting you during the day. When I should be working. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. Yeah, that's that's perfectly fine. Um, yeah, it. I was um, surprised that it was as well put together as it was because after seeing the handling of Scott Ritter, and that was just something I didn't pay attention to all that much. Um, it did seem like holy shit, this thing's gonna be a disaster. But it really actually went very very well. Um, all the people were awesome, and I, I really feel bad for Angela because she is just. You know, she's a great person. She's a great activist. She cares she about has the great movement. music taste. Yes, she does. <laughs> yeah, she she's an all around awesome person. And to see people purposefully purposefully drag her just fucking drives me absolutely nuts. So I had a tweet that um kind of I don't want to say went viral because it didn't go viral, but like amongst our ranks, um a lot of people retweeted and it got a lot of traffic. And I think good you know for that but i said i also want to say fuck everybody who's using who's disingenuously using a photo of angela standing in front of russian flags to say you know to dunk on her because it's bullshit and so my message to all the people out here who are bitching there were leftists there who are bitching that angela was speaking in front of russian flags or you know this speaker isn't anti-war enough this person doesn't meet your arbitrary standards one suck my dick two put on a better fucking event all right there's a flyer i look at every single time i come in here i've organized two events and it's the first time i've said this on the podcast publicly that i gave thousands of dollars to women who um needed money for 
having breast cancer because my mom's a three times survivor for breast cancer. It ain't easy to put on an event where you have tons of speakers and then you have to organize the equipment, do all this other stuff, let alone with a fucking infant. All right. So mm-hmm. yes, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback. And I'm not bitching at you for this because I know you're just making humble criticisms, but to all the people that are like sincerely knocking her, fuck you put on a better fucking event. And if you do, I will be there to support it. But if you just want to sit there Monday morning quarterback, Oh, you're a dick. You've done nothing. Put on a better event and then arbitrarily have the people who you think are acceptable and within your realm of anti-war or libertarianism or, or whatever fucking Puritan circle jerk you want to have, put it on and I hope it's better and I hope it serves more of a purpose than this one did. But as far as I could tell, this rally had thousands of people show up that all had a common goal and everybody was friendly. There were no fights. It was a good fucking time and hopefully the next one's even better. That's what I hope for and I hope everybody else feels the same way. And like I said, if anybody can do it better, fucking do it then. There there was a sentiment that I saw on Twitter um about like I'll just say what the tweet was and not say who it was from. But <laughs> but essentially it was like, well, if you ally with the anti-war right about Ukraine ending the Ukraine war, you can have it be successful and not do it with communists. Mm-hmm. Right? But I'm sitting here and I'd love to be proven wrong, but I don't see any anti-war rally made up of right-wingers. Right. And where were the right-wingers there? Where where were the right-wingers at this protest that are supposedly so anti-Ukrainian? I'm sorry to cut you off, but where were all of them? Because if they agree with us on this stuff, and I do believe a lot of them do, where were they? Or, Um, Or... even just have one rally, you know, have a have a big to do about it where you show solidarity. I mean, and and of course the all praise where it is definitely deserved with you know Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Absolutely. But you know who was also supporting that was um uh fucking Kentucky Con- uh, Thomas Massey. Thomas Massey, you know, yes. the the libertarian leaners too. Mm. Um, you know, so if if we could get some kind of a big rally together, I would definitely support and promote something with right-wingers, the populist right against this Ukraine war. But I want it, I want it to exist and I want it to start with them, you know? Right. And like you and I both just said, we've praised them a whole ton, but once again, where were they? And a lot of the time, even like you laid out earlier, they're not well-informed on a lot of the foreign policy stuff. Um, And this is something that our mutual friend Robbie Martin has kind of laid out a lot. Um, I I think he goes a little bit harder than perhaps I would. But, um, you know, that I don't, you know, they don't know why they oppose or I don't know why they oppose the Ukraine war. Um, Once again, I don't think that matters. I think what matters is kind of getting the message out there to the normies. Although, you know, once again, there is merit to the idea that it's almost... I don't say almost useless right now, but that um, it doesn't mean as much because you're no longer right at the time that it's risky. The real time would have been in 2014 to speak up about it, but obviously, you know, we're almost 10 years ahead of that point. So now, um, you know, I think that's why you and I and, you know, the antiwar.com guys, you know, Connor, Kyle, um, Dave, you know, who Will Porter, Scott, um, all these people speaking out against the China stuff going on is really important right now because, once again, this is going to be the next big thing. And um, it, it doesn't matter 
if you know you speak out a year after all this shit broke out you said well yeah i'm against it It, it's going to matter that the time's right and well it's important that people are going to be against it but when it's most controversial to say it is when you need to say it the most because that's when you're getting the most eyes on you and that's when it's most important Mm -hmm. i mean that was the whole point of the mises caucus revolution right Right. i mean their slogan was be brave Mm -hmm. so I think yeah, the time yeah. is right now, but it was also right, you know, on February 25th, 22, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, it was right. Yeah. Like you said, in 2014, the beginning of 2014, it was right. I don't know. The months leading up to the invasion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, I, I kind of share your sentiment in the uh, DOA. Uh, this rally, I don't want to say changed my mind, but it gave me a little bit of hope. I just hope this hope isn't like fizzles out, you know, like up and then down and then kind of nothing comes of it. Um, I, I would love to see more left-leaning people maybe come to like Freedom Fest or something like that. That's a little bit more Republican friendly, yeah. but you know, Misty was there last okay, year. Cool. Misty Winston, um, nice. and uh, the Convo Couch guy is that Pasta. pasta? Yeah, dude, he he's there. like he's like the nicest dude ever. Like I, yeah. I, I just get the vibe that he's just a dude. Yeah. Like we were um my brother and I went over to uh the Airbnb that I think he rented out that Reed, Clint, Courtney, and a couple other people were staying at. And um you just like could not meet a nicer guy. Like he came up every chance he could to like shake our hands and just shoot the shit with us. Like, what a fucking awesome dude. Yeah. And there are plenty of people in this movement who would be happy to say fuck him because he's a leftist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and that the other the other thing about touching grass too is that you got to go up to people to their face and say fuck you, you know? Yeah. At a, at a regular ass event or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I I don't know. I mean, there's so much more in this world and and that's like so even before this whole post libertarian thing. I don't know if I've told you this before or mm-hmm. talked about this. But I, I was saying a lot of the same shit that they started yeah. saying after the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. But I was saying it like six months before. Mm-hmm. Like I was really burnt out because this whole like libertarians have baggage and it's all the emotional kind. You know, and <laughs> and they what they do and I was talking to myself but it was a problem that a lot of other people had was I was struggling with all these things and this obsession with libertarianism and this like incredible purity spiral everything that you're seeing right now in the movement happened with people who jumped on board during the Mises caucus revolution happened to me in 2018 or 2019 probably more like 2018 where you like you get into it you're really energized you read everything that you can read and then you think you know something and then you get really, really up your own ass and purity spiral about it. And and like, oh, voting, you know, I was I, I thought the voting was violence. And if you participated in the system, fuck you and you're not pure and all that kind of shit. And then I really burnt out on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, like there's there's a reason why there has to be a reason why this is all I think about all the time and all I want to talk about to anyone I, who who will listen to me. Mm-hmm. There has to be a reason why I started a podcast to begin with and did all this shit. And it was because I had my own, like, it, I wasn't mad at the state. I was mad at myself and I was mad at 
those things around me that I wasn't getting done and that I wasn't standing up to and the people in relationships I wasn't managing well in my own life. It wasn't, but I blamed it all on the state. And I think a lot of people are the, even communists are the same way is that there's things about their own life that don't make sense that they're failing at that they can't control or they should control, but they aren't. So they blame the state and then they, they make it their identity. And the reason why you get so mad about people, the reason why some libertarians get so mad at communists is because they're insecure because when you criticize libertarianism, you're not criticizing libertarianism. You're criticizing them. Mm-hmm. It's so their if, identity. It's their identity, essentially. And um, so, yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm starting to see a lot of people get really into <clears throat> religion. And one of our mutual friends, Tommy, had sent me a book um, about Orthodox Christianity, and I've been agnostic my – probably most of my adult life and i still consider myself there but um i've kind of been entertaining this idea and just because i see so many great people floating towards there that it just attracts me to the ideas so once again i just kind of want to read about it and learn a little bit more but um when i see people saying "Uh, you know this person's demonic this person's a demon this person's a nazi um the problem is that people are removing the human element and the thing that they're doing is that or the thing that they fail to realize is that they would be that demonic this nazi this social justice warrior this person you see on libs at tiktok given a certain circumstance right that would be you or me given a certain circumstance where we felt sufficiently threatened or that our family or something was on the line that was so great that we could not afford to lose it that would be us that would you know somebody would be filming us with a cell phone thinking that we're absolutely insane that is 100 a possibility that all of us could be there so when you say somebody is just you know so beyond the pale you're you're removing the mirror because what that should do is hold up a mirror to you and say that could be me and how could i get the you know far away from this as possible what does that look like you know what can i practice in my everyday life that keeps me away from that that should be the question you ask yourself when you see somebody that's so ideologically possessed that they can't even keep it together and, and that's kind of what i think you were getting at when it comes to people accepting libertarianism as their identity that's kind of why i'm glad and not to pat myself on the back but i started the podcast um in 2021 versus let's say 2018 when i was kind of in that same deal where i was purity spiling for a long time well now i have a lot more going for me right once again a musician athlete um a husband now i have i'm a mechanic i'm many many things so if i lose libertarianism that's not a crisis for me right i have plenty of other things that make me happy in life and i think that's what a lot of other people should have as well it might actually be a relief (laughs) no like and and with with the religious thing, dude, it's like I'm not gonna trade one identity for another identity, right? And and it's like I, I've been, I've been a Christian this whole fucking time. Like I'm not gonna jump, and I'm not saying that everyone who's suddenly converted to orthodoxy is a bandwagon jumper, mm. but it just really seems like, hmm, okay, you're all becoming orthodox Christians now. Like what? Why is that? Um, like I. I've always been a Christian. Like I don't, sometimes I practice more than others, but I've always looked on, on faith as being a positive thing. Mm -hmm. I just don't tell everyone about it, I guess. Like, 
Yeah, so, I, I th- if I remember correctly, one of the sayings is that you don't pray in public because um, it, it's not meant to manifest in that kind of way. Now, once again, I'm completely ignorant of religion. Um, when I hear people saying Protestant or Protestant Catholic, anything, I no idea. There's absolutely zero fucking clue. So anytime people make those distinctions, I'm like, I just, I don't know what you're talking about. It means nothing to me. Um but in my mind, it's not something that you go out and pat yourself on the back on. Um, once again, that's why I like Tommy and um, Buck so much is because they're not, you know, throwing their religion in their face or in your face, telling you how great they are because they're religious. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't mean any offense against oh, yeah, orthodoxy yeah. comments. Either. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I do notice what you're talking about. And like I said, it's just, I, I, I find that they're, um, the people that I know that are kind of converting are good people. So I think it's worth checking out. But once again, this is, this is coming from somebody who considered themselves an agnostic atheist for the longest period of time. And now more recently considers myself more of an agnostic theist rather than agnostic atheist. And um, the, the thing that I, I don't think I'll, I'll ever be able to settle is um, the certainty. I, I, I don't think anybody will ever be able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that God exists or God doesn't exist. Um, I, I just think it's silly when I hear people claim either way because it's like, okay, well, how do you prove this? So I don't know. Maybe I'll change my mind on that though, you know, and, but I think that's where we should all lie about everything beyond religion, beyond politics is that like, you're not so perfect that your mind won't change over time. Like um, you brought up how Tho Bishop changed your mind on something. He changed my mind on the Republican Party. He really did. And then um, over the last couple of months, I've had – I had Kerry Lewis Del Rosa, who's running for lieutenant governor here in Pennsylvania on the podcast. Um, Kenny Cody, who does a lot of writing for um, conservative new, news outlets. Um, the episode that aired today, um, Cynthia Cowie, who's an activist in the uh, California Republican Party. I've had plenty of people with diverse opinions on and we should because how else do we temper ideas and how else do we find out if that maybe we're full of shit on something? Yeah. And I just thought of something too that when I say uh, like people on the right who are anti-war, who are, you know, there are pe- some people that come to mind. I believe Ted Snyder, like the the TAC crew, uh, the, the American conservative. And I believe that responsible statecraft is like um, – um, but Daniel Larison, I said Kelly Vlahos, um, and Ted Snyder, I think, are on the right. And, of course, Pat Buchanan. So there are people out there. But I, I guess I'm talking specifically about popular influencers because the people I named are more intellectuals. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about popular people. There could be more intellectuals on the right. You know, there can always be more people that could come into it and fill those shoes. But what I'm talking about are popular influencers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, man. well, we've been going for a, a little bit now. I, my wife's going to be how many minutes? So my dogs are going to go absolutely. Bizarre. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Pat, what gives you hope about the future? Oh, I don't know, man. I don't have any fucking hope. I'm a doomer. <laughs> I hate the, I don't know, people, maybe my audience, and I don't know if yours knows it yet, that uh, I'm a dark, I like brooding in the darkness and the gloom of it all. I, I'm like I'm the person who likes to watch car crashes and like that gore footage that you can find on it used to be watch people die on Reddit, you oh, know. Jesus Christ. Like I'm I'm a metalhead, man. Like I yeah. I kind of I revel in the darkness. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I, my family, I I guess, you know, if mm-hmm. 
if we're being serious, I try to find hope in my family and the fact that I've been able to start my own business and have it be successful and start to realize my potential and make personal progression in that way. Um, try to, I'm turning 30 this summer mm-hmm. and people always say your thirties are a lot better than your twenties and I'm, I'm ready for it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, my older brother will be 30 here in about, he'll be 30 in April. So, um, you know, and then I'll be 29 at the end of the year. So I'm, I'm catching right up to you, man. And yeah. I, I, I don't know if you felt the same way that I do now, but, um, I'm ready for it and I'm hopeful and I've never been in such like an opportune spot. Like there's shit that could always be better, but at the same time, I realized that, um, I have a solid enough group of people around me, you know, my band, my family, my wife, um, that I'm ready for whatever challenge comes ahead and that no matter what happens, I'll be okay. And I'm guessing you're in a very, very similar headspace. Yeah, I got, well, I got another kid coming this summer and, uh, that's always something to be optimistic about. So, uh, but it's difficult, you know, with everything going on in the world and having to pay attention to it, uh, because it's your duty, but also because it's a part-time job, you know, it makes it difficult. So, yeah. Um, to, to go to the natalist stuff real quick and then we'll close her out. It's just, uh, I can't stand the people who say that I don't want to have kids because of the world or stuff like that. Just people who say who like discourage having children. Um, I can't imagine any greater challenge than that to say that um, I'm going to put someone in the world and I'm going to do my absolute best fucking job to make sure that this person becomes a fully autonomous being that will at least make the world a little bit better than when this he or she left it. Because I think that's the goal of all people. Um, at least that's the goal for me. Um, and I know my wife and I share this vision together that um, for our future children, we want to um, give them the few or the life that we never had. And that's not to say that we were, you know, destitute or anything like that, but we want them to go on and do better than us. And, um, I'm sure my parents and her parents feel the same way about her and I, that um, they want us to do better than they did. And I'm sure, once again, you feel the same way with your kids and your parents feel the same way about you is that um, you want to continue to push the world in a better direction because, um, you know, what the hell else do you have, <laughs> you know, if yeah. not that? Well, I think it's it's your responsibility to do so, especially if you feel like the world is such a shitty place. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I we're having three boys, you know, we found out that we're having another boy. We wanted a girl, but we're having another boy, (laughs) which, which is fine. And it's wonderful. You know, I get the chance to raise three strong, resilient, kind men. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can't wait to do stuff, you know, I mean, I can't, I can wait and I'm going to wait and try to relish it all, but I can't wait to see, you know, the men that they're going to become and to, do the things that I enjoy and share that enjoyment with them mm-hmm. um, and see them have their own thoughts and develop those thoughts and affect the world positively, you know, you hope, but that's all you, that's what this is all about. That's mm-hmm. what it's all about. This game. 
Yeah, dude, absolutely. Well, Pat, you goddamn leftist. Um, look at mm-hmm. you trying to uh, raise a bunch of men in a uh, you know socially conservative household. You know, you're, you're you're such a leftist, or at least that's what uh people have told me, which is uh, laughable. They've told me that I'm a leftist. They yeah, told me that I'm a leftist. I, I did have one person who I'm sure you could guess um call you a leftist and it's just so funny because you know once again the discourse has devolved to the point of um you know we call everybody that disagrees with us every name in the book that we find a pejorative and i just think that's you know back to an earlier point intellectual lethargy but um i would like to believe that you and i are uh beyond that but you know maybe we're not (laughs) they should they should ask my wife if i'm a leftist or not Yeah, well, uh, I, I will not tell you to uh, leave her uh, her details anywhere. I'm sure you wouldn't anyways, because I wouldn't want my wife uh, anywhere near some of these fucking sycophants oh, that uh, exists. <laughs> All right, Pat, what do you got to plug, brother? Okay, uh, vitaldescent.com is where you can find me, libertarianinstitute.org, where you can find my columns. Uh, sometimes, well, they usually appear on antiwar.com. So, and, and how about you? Because I'm going to run this on my feed as well. For sure. Well, uh, you can find me at Kyle Matovic on Twitter. That is K-Y-L-E-M-A-T-O-V-C-I-K. Um, I host the In Liberty and Health podcast. usually do two episodes a week. I play for the band A Common Crown. You can find us at acommoncrown.com. Um, if you're in southwestern Pennsylvania, feel free to come check us out. We play all over the place. And then... Um, by the time this airs on my show and your show, there will be about a week or two until we play in Akron, Ohio. So if you're in that part of Ohio, come check us out. And uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, YouTube, pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts and people, but I'm most active on Twitter. So yeah, feel free to uh, check out the podcast and me and the band um, and all the places that I just uh, listed out. All right, right on, brother. All right, dude. Always a pleasure. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.